This is Books, Beats, and Beyond, where we will bring you provocative music and engaging interviews from music artists, authors, historians, and others barely acknowledged by the mainstream media. I'll be your host, Taj. What's up, everybody? Today, I'm talking with Joshua Smith. He's an MC representing Detroit, Michigan. He has worked with and opened for the likes of The Diplomats, Wiz Khalifa, Elzai of Slum Village, and others. We'll be talking about his conscious and social political album titled The Fourth Wall. Joshua Smith, welcome to Books, Beats, and Beyond. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being on. So, you were raised, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan? Yes, sir. Okay. And what impact has that had on you pursuing music? Um, honestly, I, I love the history that my city has in terms of, you know, going far back to a lot of what came out of the Motown era. Um, my great grandfather, Maurice King, was a musical, musical director for Motown for 10 years. So I grew up with a lot of that wow. in the household. And so that kind of built a strong foundation for a lot of the music I grew up loving and, and just a strong affinity for music in general. So, you know, obviously as time went on from the early 50s, 60s into the 90s, thinking about um, Detroit's contributions to hip-hop with the hip-hop shop and the shelter and the rise of MCs like Slum Village and Eminem and Voice of Five Nine and guys like that that definitely helped pave the foundation for young artists like me who were interested in making music as well so yeah i think yeah. that coming from a city with such a strong background definitely held weight absolutely it, it was it was my time to become a you know yeah a prominent artist and that's the that's the, the the cool thing about detroit they have you have some hard-hitting mcs that come out of detroit you know what i mean that mm-hmm. don't really get the shine like they do. I mean, people know about them, but they kind of forget that that's from Detroit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you have a lot of diversity because it's like, you know, thinking about the the contrast between that underground hip-hop that ruled the 90s versus a lot of the more um, street-centric stuff that came out mid-2000s to even now. <laughs> thinking of guys like um, T. Grizzly versus, you know, what what was popping about 25 years ago you know it's 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 great to see the differences and the 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 longevity of you know i mean m just dropped a new album and big big sean is um nationally known now and then there's like dej loaf and t grizzly so like those those four artists right there thinking of them as kind of torchbearers and the the difference in styles between them is pretty awesome right now now what made you fall in love with hip hop? Um, I really loved. I think Elmatic by Nas did it for me. <laughs> yeah, me just because I was, I was real heavy in the jazz uh-huh. before hip hip hop really held my attention, and so thinking of that being kind of the perfect marriage between jazz and hip hop at the time, and you know, of course, as I got older. I became hit to a lot more music, but for me, that was the one that kind of helped me turn the corner. But really, 
over the years with hip-hop provided me with a voice that I, I feel I had when I was younger. That's what kind of keeps me in love with it. it. It continues to give me a platform to confidently speak the thoughts that are on my mind, to yeah. talk about things in the community that I think really matter. And so, you know, those, those two things are what really keep me invested in the culture. Right, right. Now, you said your great-grandfather used to work at Motown. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Have you, did you hear any stories from your grandfather or, or your father in regards to some of the stuff? Definitely. My grandfather, Evans, um, was a writer with him. They they worked on some music um, wow. together. They were there. They have writing credits with groups like The Temptations. <laughs> so he didn't really he didn't tell a lot of in depth stories when we were young. I've heard some stories, but most of the stories that I hear come from you know the Detroit Free Press and newspapers like that. And then my grandfather will give his perspective on how true those stories are. Uh, and how how does that sound? I, I can only imagine. They lie. Well, you know, they're, they're being on the road, especially oh, right. that that era of music and, and, and knowing history having cast a light on mm-hmm. what kind of shit Barry Gordy ran. Mm-hmm. You know, by all accounts, he wasn't a very nice person. Now, the great-grandfather that I knew was always very loving and caring. Mm-hmm. He passed pretty early in my childhood. I think it was um, it was around, I think it was 91 when he passed. So I was only five years old at the time. But, you know, he was real nice. He sat with me, and I, I have, you know, pretty good memories of being young and spending time at his house and always yeah. feeling loved for and cared for. I think I think the hard thing about that family lineage, you know, I, I think about people who were sons or younger siblings of famous or well-renowned artists and music, and in their case, that divide isn't at start. You know, you're talking right. about years. Yeah. And, and, and then even if you're talking about maybe – if your dad is doing music, like my, my dad is a gospel artist as well. So like, I remember being old enough to have a connection with him about that. Right. And he's still, and he's still alive. So, you know, even to this day, I can make a new song and send it to him and get feedback. Oh, that's cool. So the, the difference between that and having a great grandfather who's notable for that is that, that the was, it was very unlikely that he was going to be able to hear the music that I made as an adult. Right, right. So mi- missing out on that crucial feedback or wondering what he would think of hip-hop being the continuation, continuation. of our family's legacy, yeah. you know, those are things that I'll, I'll never truly know. Right, but wow. It, 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 it is cool, though. You yeah, know, no, like that's really that, cool. That, yeah. and, and then the hope that maybe I have great-grandchildren who are doing whatever style of music that they'll be doing. Right years after i'm done you know yeah you have someone on your lap wow yeah exactly <laughs> so i i i, I read a, you know you, you've you've put out some great music um you've had a you, you're having a good career and i read that uh you turned down a development deal with universal records so Absolutely. you can finish college mm-hmm. so why and because you could have had an album called the other college dropout you know that <laughs> right, and, and 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 what's also pretty interesting about the parallels to um, Kanye yeah. is 
folks starting out as producers who recognized that we wanted to rap. Mm-hmm. And whereas with him, I think in in all actuality, he wanted to be a producer right. in the sense that Stevie Wonder was a producer who <laughs> could make his own music and and create his own sound hand in hand. Whereas with me, I totally wanted to stop producing, so I did, and I focused on on being a rapper. But to touch on the whole deal with Universal. Um, a lot of the A&Rs that were um, prominent at that time had had listened to my first mixtape, um, the Mega Man mixtape, yeah. with my, which was executive produced by my friend and partner Pyro, who, well, you know, we rep Drama Setters Productions, and so he had a, the ear of some pretty prominent artists in some pretty prominent places back then, and so. One of them was an um, up-and-coming A&R with um, Universal who went on to manage some other producers down the road. And essentially what it boils down to is in a developmental deal, you make the decision whether you're going to relocate and chase a dream that doesn't have any guaranteed money yeah, behind it. Right. So for me, it was not a question of leaving college early to go to the league. It was like going leaving college early to go to the G League. <laughs> and that didn't make sense to me. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, that's 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 hard to do because some people might look at, look at that as this is the only opportunity, but you didn't see it that way, huh? And you know, that's probably the real criticism of my career that is both self levied and, but also some of the feedback I get from my friends about what I could be doing differently is that thinking about how passionate I am about music and always opting to do some more tangible work alongside with music mm-hmm. versus going to the wall and then making that my grind every day, going somewhere where it was required of me to make music every day pretty much like a job. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that that scared me so much as just the entire package of New York, I had never been before. Yeah. Now I have to live there. I was barely 20. Um, had no family out there. In the position where I had to refine the music I was making, and I had never had as much as a performance at that point oh, wow. in yeah. front of a live crowd. Wow. And I, th- I, th- I think about the parallels between rap and, and sports, right, where a lot of athletes get trained they they get the type of training that you had to be a pro athlete back in the day to receive. They get that training when they're young. Oh, yeah. And they're conditioning themselves for that at a younger age. So I think about these young artists who also are getting molded on stage. I've seen – I've had protégés as young as 15 come up after me, and they've been given spaces with um, – audiences who are willing to help them and um, mold them and be patient with them and none of that was on the table yeah. in New York. So how how and, do, you, do you do you do you do you regret the the letting it go or that's a question I come across the most because I really don't. Mm-hmm. And why is that? 
for me, it's just knowing that the tr- the path that I chose took me down a pretty fulfilling road, even if it's been a bumpy road. And, you know, my music reflects that that road isn't a road that I was always happy with. But I don't think that the unhappiness came from not taking that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think that um, I think that aligned myself with a lot of the artists that I worked with when I was younger and gave me a chance to grow in a way that made me a much more compelling performer and a much more well-rounded artist than I would have been trying to make it work. I don't know. That That's just how I feel. Yeah. And that's how I kind of feel about the developmental process of a lot of things where, you know, like, am I as big of an advocate for college as I was once before? And that's kind of a, a, a tricky question. What did you take up? What did you take up in college? Uh, I was a broadcast journalist. Oh, okay. Wow. So I wanted to do what you're doing with me, you <laughs> okay. know. Okay. Even when we talk about behind the scenes stuff, I understand yeah. that because right. I'm, I'm I'm privy to that. <laughs> but at the but at the end of the day, I was a worker. So when I got out of school and that <laughs> those jobs were not plentiful, and then yeah. paying jobs were for sure not plentiful, I went to where there was a need. So I had a friend. Um, his his uh, he he goes by DJ Ruckus here in Michigan, um, and he worked at a, a a local residential campus for, for young juveniles. So, like, you know, when they um, have to be placed in certain programs um, um, to, to satisfy their probation, the terms of their probations, they come to a program like the one he was working at. Mm-hmm. And he pretty much laid out for me, he said, this is the nature of the job. It's not easy. It can get physical because you're dealing with a lot of violent behavior or past violent behavior, and it's very fatiguing. But if you can stick with it, you you will you you'll feel the reward. And you're and still so with it. I I've stuck with direct care mm-hmm. for ten years. Wow. Almost wow. Since we've had that conversation, so so how do they know, feel I, about your music? Like I know some of the 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 the, the people there know that you rap how do they feel about your music it's always been like a a clark kent (laughs) versus superman thing Mm -hmm. so i mean even with superpowers on before fall that song is definitely about that 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 feeling Mm -hmm. of like what i used to be when i was younger when i was like music is my everything Mm -hmm. and and then kind of coming to terms with the changes that led me to you know washington dc and new york to do that work and prioritize that work before I moved home and started reprioritizing music. It's been a juggling act where, you know, sometimes I've been in places where I'm the least important person in the room because I'm taking care of other people and I'm helping people get their needs met. And then I go on stage and I'm absolutely Mm. the most important person in the room because I'm the MC and there's a crowd and they're there to see me or I'm, at least important enough to be opening for the most important person in the room, you know, but, but even then, if we, if, until we are all concurrently in the room, still the most important person in the room, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, that, that was humbling, but it all kind of goes back to my willingness to lead and to be a leader in my community. That means not always being in the spotlight and if you look at the le- the people who lead to be in the spotlight or the leaders who kind of hog the spotlight, their fall from grace is typically 
pretty heavy because right. they can't they can't disassociate themselves from what the right from, or they do dis- disassociate themselves from what the work truly is. Yeah, and I think that's that makes perfect sense. A leader isn't what people think it is. You're you're not always in the spotlight. You're just in the position that people see as you know you're actually influential and having some impact in some way. And, exactly. And um. And I can see that with your music, you know, as as I listen to the music, there's a lot of messages in there. They're not preachy, but they're very informative and they're very impactful. So in a sense, it, it, you are definitely a leader in that sense. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. So talk, talking about the album, The Fourth Wall, mm-hmm. why did you name it The Fourth Wall? Um, the the idea is it's a continuation of the prior album which mm-hmm. is the final season mm-hmm. and so what we did with that first album was uh create a narrative in the form of a television show right. and and i know that that had been done before with little brothers the menstrual show yeah so i was very careful to make sure that i it didn't feel like i was out and out biting it now the things that i took that i thought worked was i was to me the way that me and my friends used to talk about life was like, man, everything feels like a big TV show. Like <laughs> you have you have guest stars who come in and then they're on your show for a while and then sometimes they leave. <laughs> or you have big big events that feel like season finales and then, you know, you have breakups that feel like ends of seasons and things like that. So I guess as I sit and think about it, it always felt like a sitcom in real life, but we made it feel kind of like a variety show yeah yeah on the first record right so with the first record kind of the the idea of the final season was that was the last part of the early part of my 20s where me and my friends were all in the same area so that was kind of the finale to that and to moving on to bigger things what the fourth wall kind of picks up is that you know this fictional show has been given a second part to the final season. Mm. And that was kind of influenced by, you know, shows like Breaking Bad and The Sopranos where they had to have a second wrap-up to the wrap-up because <laughs> of how dense the story is. Yeah. And I wanted it to kind of be where certain songs represented the show. Like these are, if, if this was the actual show and we had music that you would see on TV, there would be songs that were like that. And then we would have songs that would represent my reality and how I feel about the music that I was creating. So it was kind of to give people a chance to look behind the veil and and kind of play off of what I feel people want to hear from me and what I actually feel. I see, I see. That makes and, sense. And, and those two ideas do work in tandem, but for a lot of people, they don't know where that starts and where that ends. And, and the early part of my album, album making process i wanted to have the track list kind of have like maybe certain a text with a maybe a white background and then a text with a red background and then white would be like this is a show this is a show track and then red would be a this is a behind the scenes yeah, but I ultimately <laughs> i thought i thought that was a little ham-fisted i, I think that the the vaguity of not leading people to water and saying this is what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to feel is what makes them feel to kind of give everyone an idea to kind of dissect uh what 
what I'm getting at in a lot of these tracks. Uh-huh. And and every and and it's interesting because what I noticed from this new era of knowing what, what songs are the most popular mm-hmm. and thinking about the ones that are the most meaningful to me, it, it kind of plays to the thing because there are certain songs that I, I really truly love, and then I have the ones that I know that everyone wants to hear when I perform them live. Oh wow! And you know sometimes there's a, even a disconnect there where it's like to me I'm, I one song could be the greatest song I've ever written and it can be heavy with metaphors and it could be very meaningful on various levels but you know people people want to dance yes, so let's exactly put that right. in that. yeah so you know there's skits in that album that reference that right I, I yeah and I really then, I really enjoyed the whole the, the the concept behind it I didn't realize that was you actually playing out like uh, kind of like your your life story. I thought it was more like you are trying to be in, you're trying to be independent, but part of a label, and that label's trying to push you in a certain direction that you don't want to go. But mm-hmm. you're saying it's more as life trying to push you in a certain direction where people want to hear your music. That's that's interesting. For sure, yeah. and I and I and I enjoy the open endedness of my music because the best way to describe what I try and what I set out to do with music is. I take the work of somebody like Lupe Fiasco, who has like triple entendres right. in a lot of his music. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like it's like when you're coming off a road and you have the road, you know, you can make a left turn, you can go straight, or you can make a right turn. Right. And always wanting that to kind of be what I present with music. Um, I love the fact that everyone can look at those two albums differently than how I look at them and have ideas and have things. And, you know, I've, I've had a lot of reviews that I'll read to see who gets it, how, like, I get it. And so <laughs> when I, I, I remember, what's the one song? Down on Fourth Wall. Mm-hmm. The way, the, the title, the way I wrote it, because I, I, ho- I wrote the hook for that song, was kind of like, Are You Down? Yeah. Or, you know, if we do this, we'll be going down. Mm-hmm. And that means, like, kind of, like, going down the wrong path or going down for the count or whatever. And this one, <laughs> I think it was Pop Matters, um, wrote an article and said that the song was a, um, <laughs> it was a metaphor for cunnilingus. And I was like, oh, <laughs> sure, why not, <laughs> yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, but isn't that 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 must be the fun thing about making music, right? It just exactly. just seeing what, how people are going to to interpret it. Mm-hmm. it. It's just that's just part of the magic, I think, of or just part of the fun of just uh, expressing yourself. Because you know we mm-hmm. all take communication and, and and perceive it different ways. Like for example, that's kind of why I do this show, right? Mm-hmm. I like for example, you you had the song don't forget it mm-hmm. what is the message there what what were you trying to convey Resolution 1080 scenery the black streets where you and I play got me feeling like the second birth of you and I a from rap game to crap game supreme intellect niggas flip me the bird but it don't mean disrespect 
Hectic nights that I sing about Take the scenic route To see the battlefield that I be about I feel like two socks Last of a dying breed An outcast vilified by society And through my dances with wolves Had to visit the joint Play the role like Rubio And come deliver the point Too sacred for the land of true players Blue Gators Detroit boy involved in two a soothsayer The suits hated but it's true statements Here's for the hundred thousands From the Joy Road to Bruce to Housing So don't forget about me Uh So don't forget about me So don't forget about me Don't forget about me All the things that I said for you But the place that I come from Here's the place that you are now I'm just saying it out loud Uh The road to riches filled with dances with the demons. Watusi, general, I stand in hell's kitchen, so salute me. Half of us is in the pot, but root for the kettle. That self-hate is low-hanging fruit for the devil. It's basic Adam and Eve shit. We all try to live decent, but still headed towards the precinct. These rough ties got us seasick, just like our ancestors was bunched up like these picked from Egypt. But still they want me to smile, a fake camera facade. Against my chosen robe with weaponry to brandish it, God. Might as well bandana my squad we all marked for death shunned by the people of the land we help architect as the squad cars begin pain they oversee the field black folks divided but we feel we don't need to build turn another page the networks they net worth to burn another slave that's why i'm gonna rebel and burn you all they won't forget about me so don't forget about me so don't forget about me Executive Huff in the motherfucking building. We got bitches. We got bottles. We got chrome bezels. My nigga Joshua Yo, Smith Huff, is in Huff, the... Huff, stop, stop. Look, just calm down. Calm down. I'm tired of the network coming in, telling me what to do. This is my show. I wrote this shit. Just don't forget it. You know what's crazy? I've been hearing I've been hearing the term survivor's guilt so much hmm. over the last few years. Like, you know, the long soliloquy that Kendrick has about survivor's guilt oh, and right. making it out of Compton yeah. on the pimp of butterfly. Mm-hmm. And then Gold Link has the um at what cost out this year and he's got a song called Um Pray Every Day, Survivor's Guilt, where he's talking about all the people who had to sacrifice themselves for him the chance to share his work don't forget it it's kind of a double entendre where um in in presented in the theme of the album where it's like we're battling for control over the music that we want to make so final season had all these songs where it's like i want to make this song i want to make this political song and then the executive played by my friend eric huffman he comes in and he says well the label wants you to do this or, or in the, in the form of the show, it's the, the TV executives want you to do this and put this on the, on the screen. So don't forget it was basically my way of saying, well, I've crafted that album that ended up being popular and I'm the, the driving force behind that. So don't forget it. Mm-hmm. Don't forget who, who, what, who is making the music important, the artist himself, but also 
when you listen to the lyrics of the song and you know we're talking about the Brewster homes in Detroit yeah. or the people who've died to make America a greater place but still are being exploited and that the line about the networks their net worth to burn another slave you know right. networks using their power and money and influence to to take advantage of another creative like don't forget about these people right right because they're the backbone of society and so it's just like every song should have those two paths to it it should be able to you know stick with the theme while at the end of the day also being relatable to a person who can just pick up my music and think oh that was a really deep track about being from detroit right right don't 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 forget about joshua smith you know yeah it has to it has to have that layman's like connection there or i'm just making music (laughs) to soothe myself and that doesn't work so explain this line in there the black streets where you and i play got me feeling like the second birth of the unia yeah i'm a a big marcus (laughs) guard hell yeah absolutely so you know the scenery the black streets and I think I had a re- I originally said the back streets, but I thought the black streets was a much better visual. Yeah. Also an homage to Black Street, the group, you know, just like uh, that, that, that to always be playing off, off of words and concepts people are, are, are familiar with. But the interesting thing is like performing in a lot of, in front of a lot of crowds who don't know anything about UNIA or Marcus yeah, Garvey. Yeah. And so... That's always an interesting thing. So what? Seeing, so what do you ahead. think? What do you What do you think with the whole UNIA? If that was um, around now, how do you think? How do you think things would be? You know, I I have a lot of theories because you know I I read a lot of scholarship. I read like Tony Easy Coates, um, mm-hmm. Jelani Cobb, even even good old Cornell West, which is why it's funny that those three. <laughs> or like at present time yeah in their in their beef but <laughs> when i when i think about kind of the problem that a lot of um black people are are facing in in america i think a lot of it goes back to things that gavi was trying to teach about black nationalism back in the uh early 20th century mm-hmm. and so Honestly, in a lot of ways, the only way to give yourself a fair shake is to divest from um, what has control over you. Mm-hmm. And, at the, and, and, you know, when you think about Negro improvement, that's really what that means, to be able to improve upon your culture and to have the space necessary in order to do that, both in the physical and mental, mm-hmm. you know, so having that having having been so starkly anti-colonial and knowing that colonialism still is is the effects are very apparent in this country to this day right i think it's still very relevant i think that the black panthers are still very relevant more so than any type of romantic romantic romanticizing excuse me (laughs) of of them being quote-unquote militant you just have to think about the sophistication of of which they were able to network right between 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 not just cities but other countries Mm -hmm. and and having a philosophy 
that was embedded in in some type of self-advancement. And the thing about scholarship is what I think trips people up is when you start making heroes out of everybody who are infallible, <laughs> then that that's when you kind of get caught up in thinking that one way is the right way. When the reality is I can read from all these people and they yeah, can absolutely. all have a place in my music. Yeah. And my music can have a theme that is much more overarching than a lot of philosophies that you'll find in music because of the fact that I, I think that some things work and I think some things don't. And if, if I feel something works, then you'll hear about it in my music. And then, you know, for you to ask me that question, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't freeze up and be like, oh, man, you know, I really <laughs> thought you and I sounded cool. And <laughs> no. it, ry- it, it rhymed with what I was going to yeah. say. So I said, yeah. you know, there's a there's a thought yeah. behind it. I thought it was beautiful because I was like, you know what, if, if that was – if the UNIA was back again, that's perfect because I think black people are in a position now where uh, a lot of us are getting really business-minded. There's a lot of stuff out there that we can actually, with the Internet and all um, and, and all this technology in our hand, we can really do more of what Garvey's talking about, let go, build our economic sure. base and so forth. So I was like, this is perfect, and even as an artist, it, there's so many independent artists now that, mm-hmm. you know, you you can actually build your framework, your foundation, build that business, and we can help give back to the community and, and really free ourselves in a sense. So I thought exactly. that was pretty, pretty cool. And no matter what your framework is, just the fact that there are so many different types of, of framework to draw from. Like, I mean, I even reference Booker T and W.E.V. Du Bois mm-hmm. and Black Diamonds. Mm-hmm. And Booker T is not someone whose work I've ever really truly identified with. However, I think he's very important to yeah. the conversation, right. and I think that there are some things that I agree with him on. And so, like what? Know, what? 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 What exactly? Um, I, 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 I <laughs> it's hard to to articulate how I feel about financial freedom oh yeah however because if we really want to get the super political side of things i don't don't, i I don't identify with capitalism the way that a lot of my friends do because i i think i still think it's rooted in a a form of evil that has not suited people who look like me or you Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. therefore i can't believe in it Uh yeah No, no, you yeah, take it there. How, 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 however, I also, I also, I also caveat that by saying I'm not an ec- um, economist by any stretch. So, like, right. when people are like, "Well, what's your solution?" I'm like, "Well, that's why I don't speak on it because I don't have one." Well, I, I, so, I know, I know, you might not have a solution, but what is causing you to say that capitalism is evil in a sense? Um. I think I think that it forces people into very rigid have have and have not yeah. categories. Mm-hmm. And I mean like that's one thing that you can tell is the aim of the current administration mm-hmm. in the United States where it's just to continue widening the gap between who has and who doesn't. Yeah. Like I mean and that that's kind of where it is with new, net neutrality. It's oh really, gosh, yeah. It's it's really about like how much more can you police the people that you've been policing in different ways. Yeah. And and the motivation there is to continue to benefit those who are in the position to be above yeah. any or or if not above at least withstand 
the type of policing you find Mm -hmm. in the country. And then those who have to deal with that scrutiny, they just are, they'll be further scrutinized. You know, I I mean, and I guess the one thing about net neutrality above all is like, you know, I, I I would not, I, I read so much online. I would hate for what I read to, um, limit my access. Right. So, yeah. I I always think like the one thing with capitalism that doesn't make sense to me is you keep robbing the people. Yeah. So capitalism is all about people having money, exchanges of 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 money, right? But if you keep mm-hmm. making people poor and poor, I don't understand what is your motive, right? Exactly. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't you make the economy flourish so then you can make money? It is. It's. It is mind-boggling. It's it's almost like a disease. You you have billions of dollars already, but you need more. What is that? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, that kind of greed propagates itself. So, right. You know, and and those are things without without getting into some Occupy yeah. type philosophy on the album. That that the, I mean, the idea of the executive on both albums is to have a friend of mine who obviously and and eric eric playing that role is so wonderful because he's the guy that i conceptualized the entire idea of the final season with we just he we're such nerds when it comes to tv and movies and things we're just like man this all feels like one big show (laughs) and this is how it's run so for him to take that role he definitely got the themes that i wanted him to express and so his character is well-meaning but his character is a company man who wants you to do things the way that they've always been he's a traditionalist so it's like one thing about the first album that you know was a disagreement between me and my manager at the time what um william ketchum who now works with revolt tv like on the very first album our second song was called Ghost of Megger Evers. And, yeah. you know, it has, it has a more trappier modern beat, but the, the, the idea of the verses was feeling like this statesman who was murdered just for daring to make a difference on a grassroots level mm-hmm. and kind of using those verses to kind of um, talk about how his spirit lives on and me identifying as someone a part of the proletariat who is using his voice in order to talk about some social issues. Right. So making making that a song that heavy, the second song on the album was a point of contention. It was like, no, let's lead off with the bouncier song, <laughs> which which is the song, but which which ironically was never even a single off the album, no. but it's still today my most popular song. Yeah, it, it is a dope the, song. Yeah. It streams the most. It gets great crowd reactions. Yeah. It's notable. And, you know, that whole skit on the first album saying, you know, it's not for the ladies was because that was what was going on behind the scenes. And I was like, all right, well, we're going to put this in the music. Right. And, and in a sense, those are the first time we kind of break the fourth wall without the audience knowing it. Now, I'm also man enough to admit that I feel like I was wrong to put that song second because that song is popular, but it's not as popular as the most popular song. And so, you know, those, those are, those are the type of, of 
you know, things about control that I, I look about metaphorically with the world that I live in and I try and make it the music. Right. And, and, and then you had a song on the album called Zero Gravity. And to me, it felt like that song was just letting it all go in a sense, you know? Trying to be the next Malcolm Shabazz. We sky high, levitate on the beat, and we floating every time we ride by. Ride by. Caught up in the system, trying to fight the odds that's against them. We ain't scared, but the teachers don't care. I tell the kids, aim for the fences. Maybe we was made Jemisons and Hensons. Criticized cause we never paid attention. Talking heads and they go on. I'm feeling like the floaters trying to float on and get it out my system. I remember Miss Yee's class had to be about the sixth grade. Right around the time that my kids started sticking kids up with a swig and a switchblade. Duck shots when the block let off clips. Pop, pop, and we all blitz. No cops in the hood. The politicians all sick. Set shot like they all pimp. Down the road where they pop this. 45 with the Glock grips. Out of space ain't an option. So obnoxious On the way to school Cleaning blood stains Off my cockpit Space shuttles equipped To save you and me Gravitational pull Be like truancy Cause I'm headed to class At light speed when I dash Interstellar dimensions I write fluently They ain't build a detention To set back Where I rep at Off the ground In my jetpack We sky high I see souls when I see souls Cause we shine bright Kiss the sun As we ride by Faster 
faster than the speed of sound Feet will never touch the ground Can't nothing hold you down, 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 down Before we get to the show, I just want to say thank you for all of you out there who are supporting the show by clicking on the links and purchasing the music or the books. We appreciate you very much. And for all those who haven't and are thinking about supporting us, just go inside the show notes of each episode and click on the links to the songs or the books and it'll take you right to where you can purchase it. And it's a win-win because you support the guests of the show, um, and we get a small commission, which then goes toward to the operations of the show. So again, for all you who have supported us, thank you so much. And for all those who are thinking about supporting us, we appreciate you as well. All right. Peace. Definitely my favorite song to date that I've ever written. Wow. Why is that? It just, everything about it felt right. Um, I wrote the verses that though, I'm, I'm kind of getting to the point in my career and maybe it's not the, the, the most um, impressive thing to admit, but I have so many old verses that end up not making it the first time around that I kind of go back and I retool and I make them fit the aesthetic of what I'm going for. Yeah, that's so all right. Because it's all new I, to us. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. And and it's not like ghostwriting or anything like that. It's just taking what I've already created and making it perfect. Yeah. And, and or at least suitable. You know, and, and when I originally wrote that song I was thinking I worked at this um middle school, this charter school in Lansing, Michigan called Shabazz Academy. Oh, wow. Very Afrocentric based school. Yeah. And the fun, the fun thing about my, my current job that I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to depart from now is the school I'm at now. Some of those kids after, you know, leaving and going to DC and New York and coming back, they're older and they're in high school now and they're my students again. Mm-hmm. And when we, and when mm-hmm. we talk about social issues, they are uh, the amongst the few to know their history, and it does make a difference. Yeah. So when I worked there, I wrote this song based on the program we had called um, Reaching Higher, and it was an after-school program that was meant to kind of inspire a little bit more ec- excellence academically for the kids that we had. And so taking that perspective of what I was seeing in classrooms – and then the first line was something that my friend James Garden used to do at shows. He would say, take your hand, put it up in the air, reach as high as you can, and reach higher. And every time you do that, people, you see them, you see the visual of people going further up on their teeth. Yeah. And, the whole, and the whole point is, like, why do you why do you trick yourself into thinking you've gone as far as you can go mm-hmm. when you can always go a little bit further? Mm-hmm. So that was the foundation and so it didn't have a hook, and I heard the beat that um, Stu Rat made, and I was just like, man, I, I heard this beat that sounded like it could have been in the movie Gravity. 
Uh, Sandra Sandra Bullock and I was like man I'm just listening to it and then for the love the 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 guy who's featured on the song he's just playing around and he does this melody he's like if I rule the world (laughs) and then I was just like of course it reminds you of the 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 Nas and Lauren joint but then he went in the the direction he went I'm just saying the world would be Mm -hmm. a place with no gravity and we'll fly, and I was like, boom. Yeah. And when, once once he got the gist of that hook down, I rewrote those verses, and it was just like, once the cadence, yeah, that that double time flow kicked in, everything started coming quick. And yeah. the the line and N words criticized because we don't talk about cash. I never gave a f about it because I never really got it. Yeah, that money that you're spending don't last. That was originally going to be a hook. And then I was just like, I think that's good coming down, going into the chorus because it just it's just like you know it really brings things home. Right. And and my perspective about kind of the homogenization of classrooms, where it's like now I really feel like we're safe. Slaves, yeah. you take the same people you were born around and you put them in one place and you teach them that there's one way to do things, mm-hmm. and it becomes methodical and it becomes mechanic, and then it loses the uniqueness of what they're supposed to learn. Like right, right now, we got kids reading because I, I, um, I'm a, the school I'm at I'm a behavior treatment specialist meaning my job is that I deal with behaviors while the teacher teaches so if a kid acts out it's my job to step in and kind of work with them to see what the anxiety is coming from or where the refusal or defensiveness may be coming from and, and kind of work through. are you in the class uh, I'm, I'm in the class wow. so our, our setup is a teacher a pair pro and then me and so what I've noticed is the best way to keep a kid from acting out is to help them do their work. And because I'm in a history class and that's the subject I've always been proficient at, I sit and I help with the work and do what I can. So they're reading out of these history books that are pretty awesome to me. Because I think about the textbooks that I read and they do a good job of painting a lot of these people in history as incompetent and wow. like I, I honestly couldn't couldn't tell you some of the presidents that were really horrible and how horrible they are but you know reading it uh, reading it again these kids are reading books that could be potentially college history books but the problem is they don't have there is no diversity to how right. the the material is being conveyed so, so I that's think where that, that line came from I see now. Yeah. And We're, so you yeah. think, thinking about like Shabazz, where it's like everything is dressed up in an Afrocentric garb, that makes a difference. Yeah. When you when you are showing kids drum circles or when you're, you're showing them, you know. So talk yeah, about those kids. You said the, the, the kids that you uh, taught at the Shabazz school, you saw them later in high school. So when you started mm-hmm. teaching the class, they were really, they were really um, uh, inclined with their history, right, and truly participated because of... I, I would say, I don't know if the participation is any different, you uh-huh. know, because, I mean, the majority of the kids, I, I, I mean, in fact, let me scrap that, not majority, 100% of the kids that I'm working with right now are students who are, who have probation cases, mm-hmm. active probation mm-hmm. cases. Mm-hmm. So, when you think about what that entails, yeah. what that looks like, we're dealing with kids who come from demographics that are underserved right. and have a there's a there's a lot of behavioral um 
structure that they lack. And so um, because they're inclined to know how cause and effect works, they can pick up on certain concepts a little bit better than some of the other students. And, and a lot of that goes back to being taught their history a little bit more deeply. Mm-hmm. So even being in a school that would celebrate Malcolm X more than any other school means that they have, you know, a, a much more complete picture of at least one historical figure. Yeah. And right. that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that that school was teaching. Oh, Martin Luther King was a bad man <laughs> because he had an idol ideological bit. You know, yeah. they're teaching about all these people, but you're also learning about Claudette Colvin. You're also learning about mm-hmm. um, Stokely Carmichael and they know these names. So like, for instance, I think the way that that pays off is one day we're watching the 13th in our school, oh, wow. and it's during the summer program. And this was, this was the defining moment for me at that job where I, I really, truly connected with the kids because, like, they're they're just getting so disillusioned watching the 13th. So mm-hmm. the disconnect with black, acad- black academia and young people, for me, was presented here pretty starkly where it's like, if I go online and I am discussing with my friends my age, um, young scholars who are just arriving to universities and high school students that have the expectations from their family and the backgrounds to be able to ha- have um, a pretty big data bank when they are discussing history, mm-hmm. then they're all like, wow, have you seen that m- movie? It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. It's <laughs> excellent. These kids are like, we don't want to watch this because well, yeah. we're, we're going through we're it. We're going through it, right. It's hard, and this makes me sad, and this makes me depressed because you're teaching me that there's no way to escape this. I would rather watch Paid in Full. <laughs> mm, wow. So how did you, so, when they were responding like that, how did you guys respond? Well, and, th- and this is what makes me know that I broke through to them was that I kind of had to break it down to them like this. It's just like you guys keep asking us, can we watch a hood movie like Paid in Full? And I'm like, this is the prequel to that, mm. you know? Then you start asking them questions like, where do you think all these drugs come from? Mm-hmm. Where where do you think that they originated from? You can't tell me where opioids are from. They're definitely not from the inner city of Detroit. They're de- definitely not from inner city of Harlem. They weren't grown there. They weren't uh, made in anybody's basement. And then so when you start kind of talking about when when drugs became prominent in the community, you, you turn it into a history lesson that's framed in a way – yeah. They want to hear the information. Right. So now they feel like they're learning more about paid in full and they're learning more about the 13th and they're learn- learning about things that they love without being told, hey, this is the way you're supposed to learn. Exactly. And, yeah. and so we get into these concepts. Then that allowed us to have a more general discussion, kind of like what it means to grow up in the hood and what the struggle looks like. And the kids were giving me a hard time because I'm very straight laced. When I'm at when I'm at my shows, I'm in my element. I'm out with friends. Obviously, my music lets you know that I cuss, <laughs> and I, I feel like um, expressing myself like that. I'm from a city where Coleman Young was mayor, and mm. he used to cuss on TV <laughs> and talk about adding flavor. But to me, in a school setting, I'm completely different. It's mm-hmm. Clark Kent versus Superman. So. A lot of the kids had this notion that I was given some privileged life growing up mm-hmm. that separated them from me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I told them, I was like, look, my story 
very similar to a lot of you in this room. I grew up in a single parent household. My mom had to work very long hours to where I had to stay with my great grandmother who, you know, thankfully she lived on a street that was blocked yeah. off so I could be out in the street all day with my <laughs> friends, yeah. playing ball, riding my bikes, doing regular kid stuff. And, you know, but because my mom struggled so much to, like, be providing, you know, I didn't see her a lot until, you know, midway through my, my childhood and we moved and we got a house on the other side of Detroit. I'm an east sider, but um, we got a house on the west side. And that, that difference, like me even having my mom in my life like that, that's where the privilege does start to come in for me from the kids. Mm -hmm. And so kind of breaking down to them that like we're all from different areas. But once you start putting expectations in place and once you start putting in differences, once you start putting in people like I knew a lot of the dudes who were doing crazy stuff on the street yeah, that were, you know, I had friends in high school who were, who were getting ready to, to be big time dealers and, um, doing credit card fraud and stuff like that. And anytime I wanted to like dabble in that, there was always someone there who was older, like, no, yeah, absolutely not. Right. And if we find out you're doing it, not only are we whooping your, you know what, but then we're going <laughs> to tell your mom and then we're going to come up to your school and make sure you come into school. <laughs> and if we find out you've been skipping school, we're going to whoop you again. And so, you know, like, a lot of these kids don't have that right. because the further you get in the, the generation of where drugs has been prevalent in inner city communities, you starting to get guys who are older, who never had that guidance. And mm -hmm. now all they're concerned about is how they're going to make money and who they can exploit to get it. So these kids are taking charges for OGs that don't care about them. So right. like when I told them about my OGs, they're listening right. because they thinking, how does that relate to me and my OGs are, Oh man, you, you had a friend, like I, I ref a, a couple of the songs on the new album that I'm talking about, uh, that I'm coming out with. I talk more in depth about a friend of mine that got shot when we were young that I don't really ever talk about in my personal life because it's too traumatic. And so they, that, that was another way to connect with them and or, think, you I, know, just, just, just that. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Cause as you were talking, it made me think of that, the song on the album, called uh, December Rain slash January. Uh, word of tut, buried in his tomb, looting heavy chains. Label me a pharaoh nigga, bury me the same. The price of street glory means you die for ghetto fame. We mummies of the same breed, alive as dead remains on these back streets. They pack heat, haphazard, ski mask, duct tape is black magic. David Blaine on them, leave no stains on them. Mozambique drill, two in the chest, one in the brain on them. Niggas catch you at the stoplights. Scare your girl off, let slugs fly and then we pearl off like I'm in Ra. A phoenix, my resurrection meaning everything. The sequel, reborn as eagle built with desert wings. The seasons change like December rain at my window, hoping that the raindrops fall, tweaking like Eddie Kane. Addicts and addicts, base in the basement, heroin as they harrow their skins with syringes. We Earl Flynn. Today's children try to imitate actors, politicians for the city, then they penetrate backwards, nigga. All karma, I call it God's politics. Syndicated college, see another hit with hollow tips, nigga. That's Osiris. The Mayans couldn't call it, but the Maya where you used to shop is flush with alcoholics. Tell it to Tombs. Artists who found his canvas buried It's cold as fuck, my nigga Welcome to January 
my my kids at my school can look at me as potentially bougie just mm-hmm. because I went to school yeah. and then I can go to a political event <laughs> and be in my in my Jordans and and, and and still be clean and still look presentable, but because I wore gym shoes, yeah. I can be judged for that whole event. And nothing that I've accomplished in my in my life matters because I'm not wearing an Italian made <laughs> suit with some shoes. Right. You know, and 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 in some of those cases, you have black people who who dress up and dress the part. And then they'll find themselves in another space where they can't hang. Mm-hmm. You know, look at looking at how many of my Kendricks and Jay Zs and and Drakes and Rihannas and Briases are hands down the most important people in the industry that I'm a part of as far as black faith the black black um I'm not gonna say black faces I'm African American faces go. <laughs> and then they get to the Grammys and it's like where's the respect? And, right. and it's never ending. It's all cyclical. It's all the yin and the yang. Yeah. The reason why you went to college and yep, this won't hang, you know? Yeah. So what do you tell the kids? No um knowing you, you know, you went to college and you're back there just trying to let them know the world affairs and and what is really going on. Does I it kind of change teach, their... Yeah, mm-hmm. I try to teach them the power of their voice. Mm-hmm. Like the one thing that even came from the, the, the 13th, right? I had a kid there who he got caught up for Dylan. And, you know, he was one of the main kids who was just like, this just lets me know I can't find a way out. And every day I go out and hustle. Mm-hmm. It's for nothing because there is no end to it. And so I, I circle back around him after we've all shared. And I'm like, look, you're, what you just said, your experiences that you've been through, that feeling, that's a voice. And mm-hmm. and you even being able to articulate that to me, you're going to be in a position that you're going to be able to talk to some people and you're going to tell them your world perspective and it's going to matter and it's going to be salient and it's going to and it's going to decide some younger person's life possibly mm-hmm. and you know i don't want any of my kids to be cautionary tales so right. I, I made that very clear i was like i don't want you to spend your life being a teacher for someone else i want you to be comfortable that you can live your life but at the end of the day you got a story and just watching him kind of process that Mm -hmm. it's just like no one tells these kids especially those kids the ones who created um, a a legal situation for themselves or have been a victim of something deeper that resulted in them having legal situation for themselves no one tells them that they have a story that's worth worth mattering but the way we use our voice is very important to uplift each other and so for me, since since the day, honestly, the person who changed the entirety of my musical path was was James Garden because wow. I yeah I, I he did a song about um, AIDS or orphans in Africa oh yeah uh, Voice of the Voiceless and mm-hmm. then that was the day because I was kind of flirting around still wanting to make street music with but I remember calling it like having street music with a, a soul yeah. or with a conscious. Mm-hmm. So I looked at I my favorite artist from that dipset period was Tom Gist and he's not very notable compared to like Cam and yeah. J- Jimmy but even Jewels is another example. These were like guys who like were learned. They were yeah. learned street guys. And Tom was Tom was just making this incredibly 
visceral poignant music that was like oh because he's on dipset and he's rapping over heat makers and this that and the third it, it wasn't hitting and i was like i want to make music like that mm. so when i met james that was when i kind of recognized i'm like man i'm in college how did y'all why meet am I not, why am i not rapping about what i'm learning in college exactly. why am i not rapping about things that i've read in books and so during the rest of those jay young the general days when i'm making like black history eps and things like that that was all the result of like knowing I had the wealth of knowledge to be able to share it. Cause you guys and are on then, a song together on, on on this album called Forever. in them history books vivid scenes philistines rape our culture out of misery shook by the fact we most intelligent heaven since since arrival we live as the children of lucy this is survival woodbridge got me pissing merlot pour a trickle for my little niggas on the furlough they pray for visits mama's child on a taxes claim a codependent in and out the youth center bench for codependent Look, that's my environment, paint a scene with the brush I bleed. Look in the devil's eye, cutting that vis-a-vis. The world audience exposed to social Darwinists. Black man, rose slumping, dipping his carcinogens. Caskets drop, quiet, sadly we sing. Sober up on heaven's energy, reality means. Never see the repercussions that fatality brings. Too entrenched in the system. Ghetto casualty scenes for you to play out. Jim Crow, silver screens, we laid out. Prepubescent teens, late night creep to they base house. The inner city prophet, only him do I fear. I tell the tale, it's black history, yeah. Look. As time passes and life flashes, we see walls up and won't pass them. We want freedom and stay passive. God save us, I won't ask him. As time passes and life flashes, we see walls up and won't pass them. We want freedom and stay passive. God save us, I yeah. won't ask him. I came in this game humble, you don't know the half of it. Distinguished, the young king, the immaculate. Been riding dirty since the project cabinets. Doing 150 while the camera zip. Returning to profit, hell scorched, flooded with gossip. Judas is watching, plotting, still refuse to acknowledge we got next. God's children, tatted rags, sleeping dirty mangers. Mother's mourn word to Shirley Chambers. And I don't know why the cage bird sings. Single mom with broken feathers might exchange those wings. While a son fights the tyranny of men, they fear me from within. Politicians steady serving up opinions on your skin. So we grab mics, speak them flows, they act sour. <laughs> Make the critics eat Jim Crow, that's black power. And we invoke Huey, never seen those Panthers. <laughs> Speaking on the dead ghetto Negro masses. Through the eyes of Fred Hampton, dead snapping, corpses getting colder. Police exonerated, deputies is getting over. The ghetto's got a it sound like the echoes of Sodom. The last souls of the catacombs of Black Bottom. As time passes and life flashes, we see walls up and won't pass them. We want freedom and stay passive. God save us, I won't ask him. As time passes and life flashes, we see walls up and won't pass them. We want freedom and stay passive. God save us, I won't ask him.
If you like books, beats, and beyond, the biggest thing that you can do is share. Share that books, beats, and beyond exists with your friends, with your families. Share it on social media. Retweet. Whatever. Just share the information. Because if you like it, your friends will probably like it as well. And if you do this already, thank you so much. And you kind of got into that. You said, I get lost in them history books. Just reading. And my mom would tell me stories about me walking around with an encyclopedia in my hand. And I remember <laughs> oh, wow. that. Nice. I, rem- I remember. The Britannicas, huh? <laughs> yep. Yes. Yep. We had the A through Z where all I had to do was pick up. If I wanted to know about North Korea, I'd pick up N. <laughs> and can you imagine can you imagine if you were a kid now and had that same mindset man google all day well yeah you would just be on wikipedia forever <laughs> and i and i still have days where i fall down my wikipedia rabbit hole and i'm just like reading and unfortunately now a lot of it is based on pop culture that yeah. i'll be reading but or reading track lists and finding out how many producers are on songs or stuff like that but man if i had been nine and i could literally look up anything oh boy right <laughs> but you but you but you know that that that's just i mean that's what it really boils down to to have to be taught to have the self efficiency in order to create your own memory bank like yeah. when when you walk into my mom's house the the diversity of what you see on her shelf it could be um I, I hate that I usually have titles on 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 deck, but right now I can't think of any. Of that. <laughs> but she just has she had so much scholarship on those on those shelves, mm-hmm. and I could just be bored. I could be done playing Mario Kart in 1990, whatever, <laughs> and then read a book. And then the book that I read, you know, I go to school and start talking some crazy stuff, <laughs> Chal- challenging yeah. my te- challenging oh, my yeah. teachers, and then. Fortunately, I had a handful of teachers who could look at this young kid who was eager to buck at them over scholarship and instead of shutting it down because they were a form of authority, be mm-hmm. like, oh, here's where I think you could be more accurate with what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. And you know how it is. And in, 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 in your middle school days, you know, a lot of it's basic information. Then you kind of go through high school refining it. But once I hit college, and I had a, and I had black professors who were like, "That's cool. Yeah, you have this perspective, but know your stuff. Read history because right. history has been recorded, and even though it can be altered by perspectives, there's still a reality. Right. If you say that ten thousand people died in this war, ten people died in this war, mm-hmm. give or take. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. So." It, and then so when I met people who were always just like, no, know, know your history and learn and read, I would just I would continuously get lost. Do you have a library that you one day would have your kids just move over to and just grab a book after they're playing their video games? For sure. <laughs> and cause, cause I think that's very that, important it with especially with the 
black community to to have mm-hmm. the physical libraries. I I think in the house. Yeah, and I mean, I could tell you, I I have photographic memories of how my books book cases used to look. Where, the, I mean, like you read anything. <laughs> I had all the Goosebumps books. <laughs> That's not history, but I had those. I had my comic books, my Calvin and Hobbes, my yeah. Marvel. Yeah. And I, but, I, but I mean, like, even Calvin and Hobbes was Bill Watterson making a comic that was rooted in philosophy. Mm-hmm. So I was I was reading things and seeing terms between that and Bloom County. I was reading things like <laughs> about CIA and about um, Gorbachev. And I'm like, who is this person? <laughs> well, now I can go over to my, my encyclopedia, Mikhail Gorbachev, da 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 da. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Or I can watch Jeop, I can watch Jeopardy and see this trivia thing. That's how I, I mean, I I wasn't an avid Bible reader, and then I found out that Noah had eight people on the ark, and I was like, I just thought he had two people, <laughs> two two of each animal, and so I read that. And so years later, I can put that in a song as a metaphor for how I feel about like mm-hmm. me and my boys, my close group of friends that will eventually make it to whatever the promised land looks like because they're dedicated. You know, <laughs> that's just the streamlining the information. Yeah. And the hardest thing about watching these kids not know nearly enough history is that it's all conjecture yeah. that becomes fact, and then right. they want to they want to try and check you and 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 converse with you based on these things that are just not true. So like a lot of it is Facebook memes, and I read this online, yeah. and I'm just like none of that is true. Yeah. And then they don't want to accept that you have done the research to know it's not true. Then it becomes a personal battle between like you don't believe what I say, and you know it's just. It's rough. That's the hard thing I think I think with the the young generation the internet is there's really no kind of benchmark or 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 fallacy check. You know? You can go down that rabbit hole and because it looks like a nice meme or so forth, you're going to believe it because you're like, "Wow, they took time. It looks nice. I didn't know about that. It sounds like it would make sense." You know, it's like I think that is very dangerous in that regard. It's not like they have the book where you can go in the back and then follow up on the citation and 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 dig further to to really look at that. I I think that's what's missing these mm-hmm. days in in that regard. For sure. Yeah. So it's a deficiency there for sure. So let's talk about a little things outside your mu- music. So when you're not pursuing music, uh, what are you doing? Um, in terms of what? Just trying to relax. <laughs> relax is a word that I'm not familiar with in 2017. Um, to be quite honest, at my basic level form of what relaxation looks like that isn't sleep, I'm either on YouTube watching random videos, I'm very rarely playing a video game, although it's not so rare because I got NBA 2K as an early <laughs> gift, gift, uh, Christmas gift. It's the first one that I've gotten in the series for like five years. So now <laughs> You're back in the fold. Yeah. And I mean, basketball is big with me because there's a philosophy in basketball that resonates. And so, like, that's that's my favorite. Um, even though I, I, I played baseball in high school and that was a sport that I lettered lettered in. Um, basketball is the one that sticks with me. Why is that? So, it's, I mean, culturally, it's always been there. Gotcha. But just 
you can see a lot in people the way that they play basketball. Mm. Um, one of my favorite things, whenever I would get to a new um, youth development, like, career path would be to take the kids and play ball with them because then you see who facilitates who collaborates who's Uh, selfish who's who's got tunnel vision Mm -hmm. um who's unsure of themselves but has has the the growth and room for confidence and i love all of it one of my favorite things is just like watching one of my kids and, and you know knowing the, the the racial implications of basketball so having one of the kids be white and mm-hmm. being around a bunch of boisterous young black men and he's not very boisterous he doesn't have this voice but you get in there long enough and you mix it up with him and some of that swagger starts to rub off <laughs> and you prove that you're not scared right. and even when you come in one day and you're you're totally not with it you keep coming back and then one day you're playing hard-nosed ball like that shows a lot about personality yeah and that that is something that i gravitate towards mm-hmm. if my 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 leisure has to at some point be uh, it has to be complete vegetation or it has to be a learning moment <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I have the i have the problem with complete vegetation i, I don't know I think, we, I think a lot of us do. <laughs> yeah 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 so you know the show is called books beats beyond and i know you 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 got an answer for this one we always ask, what books had the biggest impact on your life? And um, what are you currently reading now? Ooh, I guess the most disappointing thing as an answer, so I'm going to lead off with it so we can get out the way. Is <laughs> currently, I, am, I, I need a recommendation because I haven't been able to really read a book uh, this semester because uh. – my life has been so crazy with a lot of the side projects and then gearing up with this this last uh, this next album that we're going to put out so i need to get back into that but in terms of books that shaped me um malcolm x's auto autobiography is a huge oh one. yeah I, I don't know that it's the hugest mm-hmm. but it's a huge one um soul dad brother oh yeah is one changed my life mm. in what way and i i just for me reading what um just just knowing how crazy the 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 prison complex is mm-hmm. the prison industrial complex is and how that mentally and emotionally changes people forever yeah and seeing what different levels of activism looks like you know with with george jackson and mm-hmm. his account yeah and you know meeting nolan in the black part black panther party just you know it just it just brought a lot of things together mm-hmm. that st- stick with me mm-hmm. um bluest eye by oh, tony morrison yeah. was i think what makes tony's work really life-defining for me she had some pretty reprehensible male characters in her novels and that was it was really hard to read growing up mm-hmm. was, you know when you're younger and it's unrefined it's like well she doesn't like black women. yeah she doesn't like black boys mm-hmm. and then and then over years really recognized that she loves them mm-hmm. but we had to I, I had to come to terms reading that and knowing the, the evil 
that black man can pro- themselves can propagate yeah. and regardless of being victimized and regardless of being oppressed we can in turn victimize and oppress other people yeah and a lot of that stemming from self-hatred and i was like this is this book is awesome <laughs> one of the few books that i was forced to read in middle school that i loved oh wow still referenced. Yeah. and then i guess the last one things fall apart oh yeah wow Dope. That's a dope. Dope collection. Do, do you you try to recommend any of these to the, to the uh, your um like what, your students or your clients? You know what? The most basic thing that I've, I that I loved as a kid that I've tried to get them to read is a piano lesson by you know, which is a, it's still a, it's a play, mm-hmm. but I think August Wilson stuff is very digestible for them. I see. And so I think that I I, I would um probably go with Bluest Eye for them. I think that 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 would that would be so necessary because they have deep colorism issues. Yeah, it's 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 a shame that that that's still on the table like that. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's probably it honestly probably is worse at this point. Why? Because would you, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I I don't. I mean, obviously we are we don't hold enough power to have a complete caste system. Like, yeah. Um, in places like maybe Cuba, South Africa, India, what have you. Mm-hmm. But we're definitely starting to create a culture that that commodifies your skin color and 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 uses slang to make you think that one is better than the other. So yeah. it's just like that's a light skin thing to do or that's a real dark skin thing to wow. say. Or I don't or hearing my kids say I don't like light skins or I don't like dark skins. It sounds like you're talking about a coat. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't even aware of that. You know, I'm not you're closer to the kids than me. That's the new oh, thing. Wow. Yeah. And and that 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 drives me insane. That is crazy. And you know, I mean, but it's something I had to come to terms with. I had had a lot of um I I think that Young black men, I think a lot of what what your first perception of beauty is is heavily linked to what your mother looks like. Yeah, and my mother is a fair skinned black woman, mm-hmm. so I, I I love light skinned women mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. But I thankfully feel like I've become so in love with the beauty and nature of beauty that comes with that comes with women and femininity that mm-hmm. I see a lot of different. Um, women, and not just black women, but just period, who yeah. I find attractive, because and 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 even what attract attractive is to me compared to what it was when I was younger, you know. Um, I remember in two thousand and eight, I was watching um, really dope female, uh, or excuse me, I'm gonna just say a really dope MC, period, Invincible, who. Um, member of LGBT community. Okay. And and she has this line, she was like, I'm just trying to be the best period, not the best with breasts in a period. And I was oh, like, that's the most attractive thing I ever heard. <laughs> because I liked the confidence. Yeah. And I liked watching her in the element of being a wonderful MC. And so things are attractive to me now. And so that is able to kind of open my eyes and, and I mean, I'm, it may obfuscate my point about skin color, but I think it's also helped me, like, recognize how I felt when I was younger and and make make me not just accept, because it's not about accepting people of different 
skin colors. It's about loving them and embracing them. And just like, you know, my, my color palette is, is so much more, um, indicative of culturally our spectrum. Like I, Name so do, many different do you think people a lot that I find of, attractive. <laughs> do you think that has comes uh, th- that that change in the attractiveness comes from you know the, the certain things you have read and just the you know the situations you have been in. Just reading something like mm-hmm. you know those books you just mentioned. Do you think that had a, uh, an effect on you, not just looking at the color but looking beyond it and and noticing that. I think that I think also having um, exposure to different communities and cultures, it just um, I, I think about my time in New York and D.C. And so, oh, yeah, um, <laughs> man, especially New York, um, <laughs> having like, you know, African-Americans in the same space as um, West Indian peoples yeah. and Caribbean peoples and um, people who are um, who've immigrated from Africa that don't identify as African-American. It just mm-hmm. puts you in a perspective to see beauty and in, in it's and it's a more um, in a more diverse form. Because, yeah. I mean, I think the worst thing in the world is to know you've had a preference and then try and trick yourself into believing something is is more appealing to you because you feel bad about having had that preference it has to be genuine it has to be natural or else then it really doesn't it doesn't really doesn't matter right right. so you know i remember just coming from a place like detroit and and how we embraced hairstyles before i left and then going to dc and seeing people with braids and natural hair and then coming back to Michigan and it was here, like that had spread to the Midwest. (laughs) And so now you're seeing a lot of different natural hairstyles. I do believe that in a lot of ways, our blackness has, we, we bought back into our blackness and and believe that it's beautiful. I I love it. But but obviously, you know, we still have a long way to go. We still do. I love that uh, black women are embracing their hair again in in, mm-hmm. in in such a way that they're learning how it grows and the way they do treat it, it actually will mm-hmm. grow in, in their terms. Long is still a, a thing, but it, it will For grow sure. healthier in, in a sense, right? I love that they're yeah. embracing that. And because they're embracing that, they're getting becoming more confident of, of themselves. I feel like that will definitely change the way black men are going to start to look at them because – they're going to have so much confidence that if you really want to step to them, you're going to have to change the way you carry yourselves in a sense. You know, we're coming to a part where you can't, you can't beat them up in a way that we used to, to, uh, you know, put them down to make us feel better. I I think as the woman starts to rise, it's really going to change. trajectory. I I definitely think that, you know, um, when, when I think about, hair and I, I'm still of the belief like even if, if a woman wants to wear a weave that's perfectly oh, yeah, fine. That's fine. Yeah. But as long as the idea behind however women and men choose to express themselves, especially specifically black women and black men, that it's not being done because we feel like that's what we need to do in order to belong. Yeah, right. You know. And that 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 
uh, a discussion we can always have yeah off offline yeah. another day i i get tired of a lot of respectability politics when it comes to things like wearing suits because oh, you know yeah you hear the term europeanized thrown around a lot in these um theories on how even accepting lgbt people is is a Europeanized concept, and I'm mm. like, and these be the same people who wear suits. <laughs> think that suits make you more of a man, and I'm like, and these are the same than... people who say uh, the black man was the original man, but they'll understand that we could be the original evil, the original uh, gay person. You know, like exactly. what about that part? You yeah. you can't. You have to embrace it all. Right, so it's just like you know, what's more Europeanized than that idea of 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 dress and and dress that we didn't create, or thinking that you know, or, or our interpretation of religion being so so biased, like that's Europeanized as hell. So <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, those are those are the type of things that I just I I don't I I never will police. A woman's like parents, right. never. Never. But I, I think it's I think it's beautiful that they're that the confidence levels are so high with the way people tend to express each other. The fact that um, Lupita Nyong'o can be just as celebrated as the um, you know a, a light skinned woman with hair down to her calves. I think yeah. that, that's <laughs> You know, yeah, because it's because it's all beautiful, right? So let me let me digress and ask you a question. Um, what three albums and/or songs had the biggest influence on shaping who you are today? Um, man, I gotta dig deep on that. <laughs> album album wise, songs in the key of life. Oh yeah. Aquemini and Illmatic. Wow. For sure. Key of Life. Talk about that one. Why? Um, just that's just the dynamicness of music. Like even not even just what Stevie was talking about. Yeah. I mean, you got songs like Loves and Need a Love Today mm-hmm. that have a very um spiritual essence to it. It's a great song, but just harmonies and mm-hmm. The way he was utilizing the top artists of his time. He has a song on Songs of Key of Life with Denise Williams, Jenny <laughs> Rippers, and Sarita Wright doing backgrounds. I'm like, come on. <laughs> no. yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. This it was that was the dream team. Yeah. Like when you think about the ninety two dream team, that album is the dream team <laughs> of seventies music. Yeah. It was it and I mean like Maybe not to most people because it's not like Marvin Gaye is on that record. It's not like Donny Hathaway or Roberta mm-hmm. Flack or or any um, Donna Summer. Anybody's on that album. But when you think of the musicians who were in there, when you think of people like Bobby Humphrey, mm-hmm. who who what she was doing as a flautist being so unheralded because it's just like you know like she's a legend Mm -hmm. and she comes in and she wrecks that solo at the end of (laughs) another star like you that is so that album is so transcendent Mm -hmm. and how does that how does that does that kind of relate in any way to a criminal or a manic as being um 
Yeah, because the, those albums, the, the theme of being transcendent, like yeah. I think Illuminati's the album where Outkast was kind of just like, you know what, we're really going to go full this is who I am. Yeah. You know, like even the idea of Equimini was like them splitting their essence and right. still be and still being whole. Right. And so like when you think of speaker box and level low and then still deciding to be a unit but, but doing their own thing, those seeds are planted in Equimini. Mm-hmm. So Big Boy becomes more refined at being who he is and, and Dre deciding that he was gonna branch out more and be more himself. Right. And that's just the per- perfect marriage. And just I'm just thinking about like Things on that album like Andre's first verse on uh, Return of the G's when he's like, you know, what's up with Andre, man? Oh, yeah. Cold, is he gay? And it's just like, I'm watching this dude perform live in overalls with a white <laughs> a white um, flapper wig on and some, you know, and yeah. I just... Those weren't things I questioned as a kid. Mm-hmm. I never thought I, I never thought Andre was was a gay man. Yeah. I never thought yeah. that he was weird. I was just like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, he does what he wants. Yeah, and if you yeah, look but, back at like even like some of the '80s, '70s music, the men used to dress like you know costumes and everything. That was just part of the performance, and I think he was honoring that in a sense. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people forgot about that. Yeah, and then and then just kind of like the coming of ageness of Illmatic, where it's just oh, yeah. like Nas was really transcending his own childhood into becoming like a young man with a powerful voice. And then, yeah. so like I think everybody who's under the age of twenty five, even if they don't want to make music that sounds like Nas, they want to have the impact that oh, Illmatic yeah. had for yeah. a bunch of older heads to sit up and be like, "Yo, this twenty one year old kid has something right. to right. say." So. So, those are the thing with those three um, yeah. songs, man. I don't even know if I could do that. Oh no, 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 no! It was, it was, so it was an andor. It was an andor. <laughs> so. I can, I can <laughs> definitely say that if you throw in, um, if heaven, I wonder if heaven got a ghetto by Tupac. Oh, yeah. Just because I, I always heard that song, and I mean, like Pac has a lot of yeah, conscious stuff that I've that I've always vibed with, and I, I vibe with all of Tupac's music yeah. that was made before he passed. Cause mm-hmm. I, you know, the posthumous stuff I can't really do, but you know, I think about, I wonder if heaven got a ghetto and that was just like the way he kind of played out what I was seeing and what I was feeling at the time. Mm. And, and it, and it saddens me that he has the one line about, you know, uh, and I wonder if it's heaven said, we ain't ready to have a black that president, president because yeah. we finally got one. It happened. Um, 10, 12 years after he passed. So, yeah. you know, and thinking once again, tying it back into the Survivor's Guild of how many people had to sacrifice themselves in order for me to, and and for Obama and for any other trailblazer that's still here on this planet to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what, what do you think um, that you can contribute to today's hip-hop culture? Um... Just like certain offenses in basketball work well by passing the ball in extra time, I want people to take the extra thought about their music. Like, I think the best thing I do to culture is to give people music that forces them to think. Hip-hop is still, at the end of the day, uh, a working class thinking man's culture. Thinking man, thinking woman's culture. So... um having those ties to the social political 
um, roots of hip hop, having those ties to the academic nature of the five elements, and then having those ties to like the lyricists, the griots, and the storytellers before me who use their music in order to educate the listener. You know, that that that's what I want. That's the legacy I want to continue. Dope, man. Uh, and you definitely are doing that. <laughs> So what what do you want people to mainly take away from the fourth wall? Um, just the idea of self expression and to use that self expression to change lives. To for the for my my creative process is just always heavily steeped in being transparent. And you know, with the fourth wall, the fourth wall is the audience. So mm-hmm. me bowing to them and giving them access is being an open book, but also allowing myself to learn from them and grow from them and interviews like this, like, you know, to be able to feel the pulse of what makes my music, my music makes me a better artist. Cause I'm always thinking, how can I expound on that? And how can I build on that? Well, I want to say, I think you definitely get that across. Um, I truly love when an artist can, put this street element in the music but at the same time understand that um you can also embrace your collegiate level and put that in your music and blend it together and not and still have humility behind your music and that's i i think the culture really needs that and we need to celebrate that because like you said it is a working class music but at the same time we can um show that our intelligence and still make it not preachy and still make people move. So, and I think that's what you do with your music, man. Just want to thank say, keep you. it I up. Appreciate it, Taj. Keep it up. Well, Joshua Smith, thank you so much for being on Book Speaks and Beyond. And thank you for having me. If you want to purchase the book or any of the music, I've included links in the show notes, or you could just go to booksbeatsandbeyond.com. And you know what's cool is by clicking on the links, you support the guests the music artists, and uh, we get a small commission, which is no extra cost to you, which we would then put toward the operations of this show. Um, And also, please click on the iTunes link to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And if you do this stuff already, just want to say thank you so much for your support. Remember, let's read, listen, explore. Explore.